Well, moving forward a little bit this morning, uh, the Israelites are now in Babylon, and uh, they've been there for some time, almost 70 years, and this is Isaiah's word for them, which was written 100 years previously, but it's applying to them situation as they were it, that just before they came out of Babylon. This is what the Lord says. Sorry, it's uh, Isaiah 49. Begin to read in verse 8. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In other words, when I'm ready, I'll answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pastures on barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. And jumping to verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, he's forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The Israelites had been almost 70 years in Babylon. And they were, they were feeling the Lord has forsaken us. He's forgotten us. And you can understand that. Because 70 years is a long time to wait, isn't it? <laughs> uh, none of us know what it's like to wait, I don't think, for 70 years. Some of us are old enough, almost. <laughs> Stop grinning, Rod. Logan. Between Babylon and Jerusalem, that is between captivity and freedom, there were deserts and mountains and massive barriers. And the home that they were anticipating returning to lay in ruins. In fact, the ruins were so bad that uh, when Nehemiah went there some years later, the, 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 it was so rough that the horse couldn't go over them. He had to get off his horse to walk, to climb over the rubble. And that was how absolute the destruction was of Jerusalem. No wonder they felt forsaken and forgotten. 
You see, our problem is the same as the Israelites. We tend to look at God through our circumstances. We look at the ruins and think, God's forgotten. What we need to do is to look at our circumstances through God. To do it, to try and look at it through God's word. In other words, we need to learn to take on God's promises. Because God said, I will return, you will go back. But all that the Israelites could see was the ruins of Jerusalem. The Lord is in this passage, I believe, seeking or to teach us to renew our hope and faith. I'll never forget you, he says, I'll never forget you. <coughs> Sometimes we go through hard times and we've been thinking about that already this week. Some people have gone through divorce. Some people have gone through bereavements. And sometimes life can be one problem after another. Sometimes we've just strayed from God and we feel as if he's forgotten us. Nothing seems to go right and it's so easy to feel like a failure. Where is God in this mess of my life? It's a common feeling that, that, that comes on us when circumstances enter our life, when circumstances we don't enjoy come in. It's so easy to say, where's God in this? And what God's trying to say is, look, my love for you is bigger than these circumstances, far bigger. Whatever your circumstances are, my God, it, my, oh God is saying, my love for you is bigger. Verse 11 says, I will turn my mountains into roads. In other words, the mountains, the obstacles that, that come between us and our hope in God rescuing us will become roads. They'll become ways out of our problems. The promised land, milk and honey, sweetness and satisfaction, that's what God's promising us. if we look to his promises and not to the obstacles that's in front of us, not to the hard times that we're going through. Sometimes we think, if only I wasn't in this mess, I would really love the Lord. I could go with him all the way. Because when we think along those lines, when we think along those lines, we're starting to think, I'm going to be, I'm going to save myself because 
It's the circumstances and not God. It, it, the, the circumstances don't matter. God's promise is to us wherever we are, whatever we're going through. It says he will make my mountains into roads. The mountains are his. My mountains, he calls them. He's put the mountains there in order to teach us. And what's he trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us how to be citizens fit for heaven. And that's why the mountains are there. And he says, I will turn all of my mountains into roads. It doesn't matter what mountain is between you and salvation. It doesn't matter what mountain it is. God's got it covered. All my mountains he will turn into roads. It's an amazing promise that. This book, I can't remember who it was that first said it, but I've stuck with it. I think it's great. Bible. Basic information before leaving earth. That's what it is. It's full of God's promises. And these mountains aren't to be avoided. We've got to go straight for them. And when we get there, we'll find that God's already made a path through. We can't avoid it. We can't get rid of it. I'm just trying to get my head because I keep wandering away from my notes and then I uh, lose my way. Thank you. It says, can a mother forget a baby at her breast? It's not very likely, is it? One Sunday, we used to live in a, a village, we still do, which is it. it was about six miles from our church and some of you remember I used to have a minibus a, a 12 seater and uh, most weeks it had a lot of kids in and <coughs> sometimes half of them were ours but the kids from our village and that our kids friends used to come to church with us and go to Sunday school and that because we had a, a good lively Sunday school in those days and uh, one Sunday we left one of our kids behind. Right? Yeah. I had eight or nine kids in the back and, and you sort of act, used to count the feet and divide by two. I thought they were all there. <coughs> but uh, we weren't shy and it was one of ours. And uh, I don't know when it was that we found out but we should be left. Occasionally, a mother may forget the child she fed. But God says, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. 
the Israelites were discouraged. He's forgotten us. No. I'm not going to forget, even if a mother does, I'm not. That's, that's what God's saying. He's better than us. We love our kids. He loves me better than I love my kids. Think of that. I was thinking before, I could, if my kids were still young, I could send them to Newtown and get them locked up. But, <laughs> but, but, but it's, you know, this is it. We get things wrong, God doesn't. God doesn't. Uh, why can we believe it? I'll tell you why we can believe it. There was 10 men in a room once, surrounded by mountains. Mountains of fear. Because Jesus had been crucified. And he came into the room and showed them his hands. And he said, look, this is what I've done for you. You're engraven in my hands. And here it is in Isaiah, all those years before it happened. See, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. This is what God is saying to us. I'll not forget you. I've died for you. I was crucified for you. Your names are engraved in my hands. We might forget one of ours, but I'll never forget one of mine. This is his promise. And those disciples got up and went out in those mountains, turned into roads, and the gospel went worldwide as it was in those days. And you know, years and years later, John, the apostle in the book of Revelation, said, I saw a lamb in the midst of a throne, and this is in heaven, and a lamb that had been slain. Even then, Jesus is on the throne with those engraved hands for all eternity. He's, he's our saviour. There's no way he's going to forget. I'm going to jump on a bit again. Isaiah 51 and verse 1 listen to me you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave you birth when I called him he was but one and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. 
In verse 20 of chapter 48, we read, and I do need to check this, it, leave Babylon, flee from the Babylonians. Israel's time in Babylon is coming to an end. It's easy to be overwhelmed and discouraged. And the Israelites were discouraged for many reasons, I'm sure. Satan is always at work discouraging us, whispering in our ear. How long have we been praying now for this release from captivity? How long is it? What did you say? 70 years? You know, uh, Satan's always there reminding us miracles don't happen anymore. Your God's deserted you. Anyway, God knows what you did yesterday. He's not going to listen to your prayers. Have you had that one on your shoulder? <clears throat> What's the use? That's exactly the kind of thoughts these Israelites were having. And God says in the three times in this chapter in 51, in verses 1, 4, and 7, he says, listen, listen to me. Listen to me. You've listened to everyone else, now listen to me. You who seek after righteousness. Think back to where you were. Think back. Look to the rock from which you were cut. Remember the pit I dragged you out of. That's not scripture, but that's what he's saying. <coughs> Remember where you came from and what he's already done, what he's already achieved in your life. I've come from well, it doesn't really matter where I've come from. I went to a lady's house one day. I was licensed to administer communion in the Church of England to the sick in our parish. And her comment was, you! <laughs> because she'd known me before I was a believer. You're the last person I thought that would let do a job like this. That's just to say, illustrate where I've come from. You see, uh, I wasn't the nicest of people. I'm still not, but I'm a little bit nicer than I used to be, I hope. <laughs> Remember the pit. Remember the rock that I've cut you from. Remember the rough edges I've knocked off you. Before I dragged you out. He's saying this to the Israelites. Think back what I've done for you. What I've done for you. God's done it. It's nothing I've done. God's worked miracles in my life. He's, he's changed me around completely. I went to a church to preach once and the, uh, the, the whatever he's called, 
the chap on the door who was waiting to receive the preacher, he said, are you the Alan Oliver that used to live such and such? And normally I would say, who's asking? <laughs> but I said, aye. He said, well, he said, uh, I'm pleased to meet you. I said, oh, good. He said, I was dying to meet you f 10 years ago. He said, because we, we, were, we spent hours and hours and hours trying to catch you because he was a gamekeeper and I was a poacher. <laughs> they knew who was doing it. They knew where I lived, but they didn't catch us because I knew the area a lot better than the gamekeepers did. And, uh, and that's where I've come from. Uh, and he was, he was quite uh, amused by it all, but, but, but nevertheless, uh, <coughs> God's good. God's good. I miss the poor you know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you is looking at me with question marks I've got only one thing to say he hasn't finished with us yet okay he's still he's still I'm a work in progress uh, and that's serious you know uh, joking aside because he never ever leaves a job half done he never leaves a job half done. A stone can be polished. Uh, and this is, this, is what, this is what Isaiah is saying with this little bit, look to the rock from which you were cut. When you first got to know God, you were a rough stone, but now you're a bit smoother. And when you're smooth enough, that's when, that's when I'll be bringing you home. So God's working on us all. And for some of us, it takes a bit longer and a bit more uh, <laughs> hard work. But he's an encourager. It's an encouragement, isn't it? To know that, uh, remember w what I was like before the Lord saved me. God has saved me. And it's his business to make me holy. And he's at work in my life, making me holy, making me fit to go to heaven. And that's what these 70 years in exile were doing for the Israelites, right? And they were also discouraged, these people, because there were so few of them left. I don't know what the numbers are, I haven't researched that deeply. But there was a lot more went to Babylon that survived the 70 years. The numbers had dwindled horrendously and we read here look at Abraham and to Sarah when I called him he was but one we're never too few and I find that a bit of an encouragement because we are dwindling and, and the churches on the whole the churches in this country are dwindling the numbers are going down. And God says, look to Abraham, look to Sarah. When I called him, he was but one. And I blessed him and made him many. So I'm praying, I'm expecting God to make us many. And he's making us holy in the process.
Abraham had to wait 25 years for God's promise for a son. And by then, it was obvious to everybody that the son was not of Abraham's making at all. He could not do it in his own strength. That Abraham and Isaac had a son was a miracle. It wasn't Abraham's doing. It wasn't Sarah's doing. It was God's doing. God takes us to that place where the things that happen, I can't claim the credit for. They've been done by God, not me. And the same again. They had with one son. And God said, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham was thinking, well, how can I be a father of a great nation when I sacrifice my only son? That's a, that's a tough one, isn't it? It's not like as if you had four and you only left one behind. Isaiah, Hebrews, which is somewhere in this back half of my Bible, probably is in yours as well. In, in chapter 11 and verse 17, we read, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Well, all those years before it ever happened, Abraham reasoned, God can raise the dead. And that's because God had raised the dead already by giving him Isaac in the first place. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith. Abraham had to learn once again that God's plans are fulfilled by God and not by him. And without any help from me or you, he does it all himself for me and you without any help. The question isn't what can I do or what can I not do? But as we looked at yesterday, am I willing for God to do it? Am I willing to let God have his way in my life? In verse 3, we speak of ruins and deserts and wasteland. We all know what it's like to be in the wilderness, I expect. I certainly do. Am I in that place? Am I in the, in the wilderness at the moment? His word through Isaiah is the Lord will comfort and he will turn our desert into Eden 
our wastelands into a garden. So when I am feeling discouraged, I need to look back. I need to remember how much he's done for us. What blessings he's brought into my life. My wife would never have been my wife if I hadn't become a believer. Wouldn't have happened. And everything that comes with that blessing from God. So, look back and remember, this is what he's saying in this passage. Have I been in the wilderness? Many times. But my wilderness has been turned into Eden again and again and again. Because I've got to keep on learning. I've got to keep on learning. And whenever I feel depressed and discouraged, God, this passage is for me. God's saying, look back. Look at what I've done in the past. I'll do it again. <coughs> Just leave it to me. Stop trying. It's, a, it's like the story of the two fish again, isn't it, that we heard about on Monday. Two fish, eh, oblivious to God's work in their life. Totally oblivious, rather than the one old fish who saw God all around him and his grace. For those who weren't here, I'll tell you that story again. There was some who weren't here on Monday. There's two fish, young fish, swimming along in the sea enjoying life and an old one comes along in the opposite direction and he says what's the water like back there and these two young fish look at each other and say nothing and keep going and then when they get past the old fish one says to the other what's water the point is we can be like those young fish we don't see God. He's all around us. God's grace is everywhere. <laughs> everywhere we turn, God is upholding us and protecting us and feeding us and blessing us. And we don't even see it. So am I like one of those two young fish? Or like the old one? Quickly. In verse 4, he says again, listen, listen, don't be discouraged, listen. The law will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like fleas. But my salvation will last forever. My salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Never fail. Everything else, everything else will pass away except God's salvation and his righteousness. 
the heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. When we uh, look around us today, it's happening around us, isn't it? The earth is wearing out. We are devouring the national resources of this world quicker than it can recover. It's starting to wear out like an old carpet. And that's exactly what Isaiah was warning us about all those years ago. The earth will wear out. And when that happens, I will be coming back. And we worry about this, and I'm sitting thinking, well, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> we don't know how long it will be. We don't know how long things will hang on. But we do know God's salvation lasts forever. Those of us who have made Jesus welcome in our hearts have this promise of paradise. Milk and honey. The promised land. Just as the Israelites did. And this passage is saying, look back. Look forward. Look back. Look forward. Be encouraged. Don't be concerned about the hard times. Just give them over to God. Don't. And it's easy to say that. I know it is. But we'll have to come to that place. And we'll c I come back to that question again that I, that I said earlier, and I think it's got to be held in the front of our minds. Why? Why all of this grief? I find myself asking, I ask it myself, Lord, why have I got to go through this again? Uh, I've accepted you. I know that I'm saved. Because we have lessons to learn. We have lessons to learn. And we don't learn them at one go. We have to go through them again and again. It's like being in school. Until we get to heaven. We're never going to stop learning. We're never going to stop learning. But we are being trained for eternity. Eternity. In Philippians 3, Paul said, he counted all things as loss compared with the knowledge of knowing Jesus and his righteousness. I count all things lost. This is the lesson that we've got to learn from this passage. <clears throat> we've got to look forward to God's eternity and submit to God's training. So, uh, let's go into our groups and share again perhaps we can share some of our uh, mountains that we've had to cross Paul shared some of his last night didn't he it was very moving but there are so many more mountains 
that we will have crossed and will have to come to some very painful but once we submit our will to God to turn into our strengths this is what the first chapter in James tells us that, that these trials <coughs> are meant to strengthen us to build up our perseverance and our faith and make us more likely citizens of heaven so let's get together and share